My name's Jill. And I'm Michelle. And we have been coming to CrossPoint for just a little over a year. It was a year in March. We have an eight-year-old daughter, Marissa, and a four-year-old son, Dax. Uh, the first time I came to Crosspoint was with my aunt and uncle who had been visiting from Ontario. This was the church they, or is the church that they come to whenever they visit New Brunswick. Marissa and I came alone. Um, they had asked me a few times before, but this time there was just something different. It was tugging at me to just come and check it out. Um, so Marissa and I came and I left that day um, in tears at one point and went home and was just in awe. The emotional feeling that I felt just when I walked through the doors, but more so during the entire service was unlike anything I'd ever experienced um, going to church in my whole life. Um, I went home that day and I told Michelle, I was like, you need to come, we need to try this as a family. Yeah, so the, the following Sunday I came in and uh, felt something similar to Joel, it was, it was, it was different. Um, I, I grew up Catholic, French Catholic, uh, went to church every Sunday. Uh, my parents, it was very important to them, to my grandparents as well, and, and so it was instilled in us to, to go to church. And uh, to come here was a totally different experience. It wasn't what I was used to, um, but it, it spoke to me. It spoke to me in a, in a different way. Well, I got addicted with, with improving, with self-improvement. So with exercise and nutrition and sleep and all this this type of thing, and uh, and one thing that I felt was missing in my life was uh, was church and it was that that relationship with with Jesus and God, and and when I came here that this atmosphere this this it was different it spoke to me and it was it kind of it spoke to that that need something that had been missing and. Uh, and what better way to improve your life than to, to find a relationship with, with Jesus. Before Crosspoint, um, church was more just something we did. It was something that you knew or you felt you were supposed to do. Um, we believe in God and Jesus and we've always loved um, the idea of going to church, but it just wasn't a priority. And since Crosspoint, the intimacy, um, the intimate relationship that we feel with Jesus is completely different. Yeah, um, now it's something that we'll do throughout the week. We won't just go to church on Sunday yeah. and then be done with it. It's, it's we go to church on Sunday, but then we we continue to pray and we listen to music, and, and it's it's something that goes throughout the week in, in our lives all the time. It's a much more intimate relationship. Well, hey there, fam, peeps, buddies, pals. That's probably pretty good, eh? That's, you ever call people those names? You have these like weird little titles for people, these weird little pet names that you use. You probably have that for maybe your spouse, your significant other, right? There's names, hey there, muffin, babe, or bae, or honey or dear or whatever. Those, those are the words you call to the person that you love. Maybe you call your children those things, but those are the titles that are reserved because they mean something that pertains to that particular relationship. Those are not words that you call just anybody. I don't call the friends I hang out with dear. I don't, I don't call, you know, a guy you bump into at the gym. Sorry about that, honey. Right? Like, no, no, no. Those titles are used for certain people at certain times because they're, they're indicative of a relationship or that there's something already there. You, you have different names for your friends. 
You call your friends things that you wouldn't call anyone else. Guys, for instance, the guys that I hang out with were jerks to each other. Hey there, you big jerk, right? It's a term of endearment. We love each other. It's awkward when you say it to someone thinking it's your friend and they turn around and it's not your friend, which has happened. Sometimes though, we use these little titles for people when you forget their name, right? And you know that you should know them. There's that moment of recognition. Maybe you bump into them at the mall and you're like, hey, man, hey, bud. I don't know your name, so I'm saying those things, right? Sometimes that's a dead giveaway. Now you're gonna test me on that in the lobby. He called me man, he doesn't know my name. I actually know a guy, he's a pastor, super smart, he's got a PhD, just a genius. I've known him for 15 years. He can't remember a person's name to save his life. Calls everyone all these variety of names. He's called me Tiger for 15 years. <laughs> hey, Tiger! Like, I'm not seven. And also, if anyone's calling you Tiger, they don't know your name. That, that is solely for the purpose of covering up the fact that they do not know your name. Uh, sometimes, you ever had people at a drive through window call you like a weird thing? A weird name? Just a few weeks ago, true story, three or four weeks ago, went through the drive through and the guy who handed me my coffee was a younger guy, and he's like, there you go, my dude. <laughs> my dude! And I didn't know, like, do you go with it? Do you're like, yeah, I'm your dude, right? Like, I, or not, like, I'm not, I'm not his dude. We don't know each other. I feel like dude is reserved when you cross a certain relational line. You don't just call a stranger dude. Maybe you do. I don't know. You're looking at me like you do this all the time. Maybe that's how I'll introduce myself to someone new in the lobby this weekend. First time at Crosspoint. Great, my dude. 67-year-old woman. I'm going for it. It doesn't matter. That's what we're doing this weekend. And see, the thing about these little names that we give one another is that they are specified for only those people because it means there's a relationship there. Sometimes those names actually go deeper than just the person's name. What you're saying to them says something to them that if you were only to call them by your name, that it wouldn't necessarily say the same thing, right? Sometimes, in fact, if you call someone by their name, they would assume something's wrong. Right? Like if I texted my wife and I was like, hey, Liz, she, she would automatically, what's wrong? He called me Liz. Uh, maybe you do that with your kids, right? When you say their whole name, something's up. Right? So we, we kind of reserve these special names because they mean different things at different times to different people. And so this is kind of what happens to God throughout scripture. He's given all of these names and they mean different things according to the people who say them and the times when they're said and, and what they really mean. And so the name that God gives himself, we talked about this a, a few weeks ago, is Yahweh. It's that Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. But all of the other names we've been talking about are often names that people gave him, and they're not even names, they're kind of titles, like the ones we just kind of mentioned. And when we use them, it indicates that there's a relationship that exists there. It's not just, oh, hey, God, but it's, hey, something else. And, and, and you're saying more than if you were simply just to say his name. In the same way that honey would indicate, oh, they're in a relationship. When we use some of these names for God, the assumption is, oh, they, they must know God. They must walk with him. They must hear him. They must have conversations with him. There's something to it there. And so the name we're talking about today is one of those names. 
And, and the name that we're talking about is a title, and it's Adonai. And we've talked about this a few weeks ago. We touched on it just briefly. But it's Adonai, and it's a name that means Lord. But it's not just Lord, it's my Lord. It's my Lord. In other words, there's something between me and God. If I'm calling him Adonai, there's a relationship. It's, it's close. We know one another. It's personal. The word Lord carries a lot of weight when, when you really stop and think about what it means, right? Lord... Um, it usually, you know, historically, it meant that someone held a position that merited that title, right? You, you had to be someone of some caliber or have some kind of position. You had to earn the name Lord. You couldn't just make people call you Lord. You still can't just make people call you Lord. You could. I could get my kids to do that, right? From henceforth and forevermore, you'll refer to me as Lord Brewer of Pennyac Town or whatever. That actually, it's a good idea for my kids. But in the Middle Ages, it was, it was more of a nobility thing. It meant that you had power, you probably owned land, you had people that were under you, and they were your servants, and you were their lord. So it's a position of authority or superiority over someone else. You were the lord, you were the boss. We even use that word sometimes when, when you say that you're kind of rubbing it in someone's face or gloating, you say you lord it over them meaning that you're in a, a position over them where you could say or do what you want. It, it's lordship. So biblically, when we refer to God as Adonai, you're referring to him as your Lord. And what you're saying is that in this relationship, you have the control. You have the authority. You have the power. I'm under you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do the things you want me to do. He is the Lord for you. And so that's kind of what we're talking about today, but there's a couple of different lords in the Bible. And so Adonai is more relationally focused, meaning that it is your Lord. It's my Lord. But we talked about Yahweh a few weeks ago, and they translated that as Lord, but it meant more of the big, all-encompassing, massive, huge God. So it's almost like when we use the word Yahweh, all caps Lord, it's like God as ultimate. But when we talk about Adonai Lord, it's almost like it's God as intimate. Because he's both of those things, right? He is the big, huge, omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing, all-powerful, reigning God over all of creation. And yet he's also with you. He's near to you. You have a relationship with him. And so he's both Yahweh and Adonai. And so we get this from the Bible, which is good. That's what you want your pastor to say. I, I actually found this in the Bible. Neat. <laughs> Psalm 8.1. And it says, the, the screen is going to ruin it for me. But if you look it up in your, your Bible, notice that the first Lord, it should be all caps. It's, O Lord, all caps, our Lord, just the capital L. I guess it is kind of showing it by making them different. It says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. What that is saying there is, O Yahweh, our Adonai. That's how they wrote it. That's how they translated it. And in other words, it's saying, O God, you are big and, and huge and awesome, and you're my Lord. O Lord, our Lord. It's O Yahweh, 
our Adonai. So you can have both and mean both and believe both at the same time, and you should. Now, there's another example of this that I want us to look at because it adds a pretty important layer. This is Psalm 110. And, and it says kind of the same thing here. It says, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So now we have God the Father actually talking to the other Lord, which in this case is referring to Jesus. So God is actually calling Jesus Lord. And, and he goes on to say that, that Jesus sits at the place of honor at the right hand of God. And we actually see this multiple times throughout Scripture. This is where Jesus is right now. Romans 8.34 says, Who then will condemn us? Condemn us. No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So when David wrote that thousands of years ago in Psalm 110, it was actually prophesying where Jesus was going to go someday, however many years later, and where Jesus still is today. So it's saying there's, there's God, Yahweh, and, and then there's Jesus, who's also Lord, which is kind of where we get this biblical holy idea that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus actually quotes Psalm 110 himself. He's having a conversation one day with the Pharisees, and they're questioning his authority and whether he's the Messiah and who he is. And they ask, who are you? And he, he reads Psalm 110. And he's just kind of like, yeah, that, that guy right there, that's me. And then he walks away, and they're kind of standing there in disbelief. He calls himself the Lord. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is Lord. And that's probably a phrase that you've seen before. Whether or not you've even been in church a lot or, or whether, whether you believe it or not, you see Jesus is Lord everywhere. You see it on bumper stickers. You see it on billboards. You see it on t-shirts. You see it as graffiti. If you've been to Haiti, it's written on half of the pickup trucks that are driving around. Jesus is Lord. Well, it's true. And it's biblical. But what does it actually mean for us that Jesus would be your Lord. What does it mean for us that, that God isn't just this big impersonal force, but he is someone that you can have a relationship with, that he's someone that, that you can know? And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how sometimes it's, it's really easy to talk about Jesus as Savior. It's actually easy to, to say that Jesus is your Savior. It's actually easy to make Jesus your Savior, but Jesus as Lord is a much bigger thing. It has a lot of meaning and a lot of depth that's probably a much bigger, more difficult thing to do. See, Jesus as your Savior is a decision, but Jesus as Lord is an ongoing life of discipleship. And so I want to talk about the differences today between having Jesus just as your Savior and also having Jesus as your Lord. It's a little bit similar to the video we just watched. You know, they were talking about how, you know, God was kind of important in their life and they, they knew that, that Jesus was good and maybe they had made a decision to, to live for him, but, but actually knowing him and following him and, and making that something that you actually do during the week, that's, that's what the point is. And so there's three, three big differences between Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. And the first one is this. 
Jesus as your savior emphasizes that you are forgiven, but when Jesus is your Lord, it emphasizes that you are transformed. See, forgiveness is a one-time immediate act. It happens and then it's over, right? It, it can, it's just kind of done on the spot. I'm sorry, you're forgiven, the end. And, and if you wanted it to, that, that could be where it ended. It doesn't necessarily have any long-term implications. It doesn't necessarily change anything into the future. And you see this all the time, especially with kids. Uh, in our family this week, we had one daughter super ticked off at another daughter early in the morning because she was moving way too slow and they were going to be late for school. And this one daughter in particular despises being late for school. And so, of course, what that means is that the child who was moving slow all of a sudden is moving slower. As she turned into literal molasses. It was like, oh, am I going too slow? Which, of course, led to punches. Which, for my daughters, is the flailing of limbs. But it turned into the flailing of limbs. And then we had a bit of a blow-up, and so then we had to kind of separate everyone and say, all right, now, apologize. Say you're sorry for hitting. It's an authority. No. Say it again like, you mean it. Sorry. Okay, now hug. We're pushing it on the hug thing just a little bit. Sometimes that doesn't go well. And so, you know, they, they did, and they made up, and they were laughing, and they made it to school, and everything was great for one day. And then, seriously, the next morning, there was a fight because one child was moving way too slowly. See, forgiveness is this one-time immediate act, and you may have fully meant it at the time. You're still like, yeah, no, that's all good. But it doesn't necessarily change the way that you live into the future. It might not hold any long-term implications. It's this kind of this one-time thing. And so, so many people make a decision to follow Jesus and they say, oh yeah, no, I'm saved, I'm good. But then nothing changes. The, the way they behave doesn't change. The way they speak doesn't necessarily change. Their priorities don't really change. There's, there's not a huge moment where, where anything drastic happened in their life. Now, was, was their moment, their decision legit? Absolutely, it could have been for sure. Who's to say? But there's a lot of people out there who would claim Jesus as their savior, but it's not making any difference in their life. And that's not the point. It's not the full picture of someone who really loves Jesus. See, following Jesus requires an entire reorientation of your life. And what you think is important and the decisions that you make, what your values are, what your priorities are, what your day in and day out looks like. And so it makes it difficult to just say, yeah, no, I'm good. Jesus saved me. And then not change because that's not really what Jesus asked of us. He asked us to lay down our life, to deny ourselves, to carry a cross, and so if you make Jesus your Lord, he will be all of those things and also your Savior. This isn't to diminish salvation in any way. Salvation is still incredibly important. The, the best decision that you can make, but it is the starting line. It's not the finish line. It's the beginning of your journey. It's not the end. That was, that was step one. This is like being married. Being married is about way more than that one time you said, I do. Right. Marriage lasts way longer than the ceremony. Fun fact. 
right? Like you can't, you can't be a jerk to your spouse for eight years and just keep bringing up the fact that you said, well, I said I do. You should know I love you. I said it that one time a decade ago. <laughs> like, it's not gonna work for you. Right? There's, there's this thing where you made the decision instantly, but it changes the way you live forever. So Jesus is your savior, absolutely, but he needs to be your Lord. It is a transformational experience. We see this in Ephesians 4.15. It says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So he's the head of the church, right? He is the Lord of the church, but, but the point is that we would be growing more and more like him every day. There's this transformational act that is happening. So it's not just weekly church attendance. This is not just putting in your, your one hour at cross point and then living the next six days like you normally would. Jesus needs to be Lord. Secondly, Jesus as Savior focuses on me, but if Jesus is Lord, the focus is on us. See, when you made a decision to follow Jesus, that, that did change you. It's a fairly drastic change, and, and a lot happens in that moment where you're a brand new creation, and, and you are made you know, completely new. You're a citizen of heaven filled with the Spirit. It's pretty awesome. That one-time decision does a lot of change in you, but life is not just now about you. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you actually inherit an entire family. Again, it's like getting married. You married one person, you might have gained 24. And so when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you're, you're actually a part of this family. And then there's millions of people in this family all over the globe, and that should be encouraging. You don't do this journey alone. We get to help one another and encourage one another and lift up one another and, and lean on one another. And, and it's this really awesome thing. In other words, salvation affects you, but it's way bigger than you. It matters that there's way more people involved in this in, than just you. In fact, the very next verse in Ephesians 4, verse 16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So if you're saved, that's great. But as you grow, you're helping others grow. You're, you're now one part of this entire body, and when you're doing your role, when, when you're equipped and, and you do the thing you're supposed to do, you're actually helping the entire body get stronger and healthier and fulfill its vision and its purpose. You're, you're assisting in the growth of other people, which means the opposite is true. That if you're a part of the body and you've just decided to not work and not do your part, you're actually slowing the rest of the body down. Isn't that how it works? If one of your legs just decided, nope, not today, it's gonna mess the whole body up. And so you are an important part of the body. You, you don't do this alone. You can't, you can't single, it's like you can't single-handedly field a ball team. You, you need a whole other bunch of people with you. You could try, you could pitch the ball and then you'd have to run faster than your pitch and get back there to catch the ball. And the guy might hit the ball, and then you have to actually run out into the outfield and catch the ball. It's going to be really difficult. Uh, this is actually how we played ball when I was a kid. I grew up next to a ball field. Well, a field that we played ball in. 
but you never ever find enough kids to play like nine on nine, so you might have enough kids to play four on four. And so we tried that. And when you're only playing four on four baseball, there's a real chance that you could find yourself at second base and then it's also your turn to hit. So here's what you would do. You would put a ghost runner on second. Anyone know ghost runners, right? And the ghost runner is this imaginary friend that you are pretending is at second base. So if you go up and you hit the ball, then the ghost runner is going to take off and he's going to do whatever you would have done. He's going to run to third base or wherever. This is where it all kind of fell apart because then you'd throw the ball to third base and you're like, he's out. No, he's not. He made it. No, your ghost runner's slow. No, your ghost runner's stupid. And then it would all dissolve pretty quickly. Not my fault. Your ghost runner stinks at baseball. So that's what you'd have to do to kind of fill in the gaps a little bit. Listen, church, there are no ghost runners in the church. There is enough people to do all of the work if all of the people are doing what they should. See, there's no ghost runners. There should be no shortage of people who are willing and available to do the work that, that God has set out for them to do, that he has gifted you to do, that he has called you to do. You shouldn't ever be on second base and then also it be your turn to hit. And, and that works even in the local church. It takes a lot of people to even just pull off a weekend. We'll just use that as an example. We're four services, two different locations. That requires a whole bunch of volunteers that have to do a whole bunch of different things. Um, and, and sometimes what happens is that we find ourselves using the same people over and over and over again. You know, there are some people that have served eight or ten weeks in a row. It's not that they necessarily wanted to, though they are great people and probably would. It's, it's that there wasn't anyone else to do that. See, we'd love to give them a break, but you can't put ghost runners in the nursery. Who's watching the kids today? It's one of Natalie's imaginary friends. I mean, he's super responsible ghost runner. Right? See, if Jesus is your Lord it means you're participating in the work of the body of Christ. That there's a role for you to play, there's a place for you to plug in, there's gifts that you've got that you should be using. We we shouldn't ever be running low on people to do the work of the church. And it shouldn't be a burden to do it. It's a privilege. We get to do this. We, we get to be involved in the most life-changing, unbelievable, eternity-impacting work on the globe. We get to do this. So don't even, even if you are going to do the, the role that God has assigned me into the body, I'll do it today, one more time. No, 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 we get to. You should be happy. There should be full of joy that we get to do this, right? <laughs> Those were the six people who serve. Now, thirdly, having Jesus as your Savior emphasizes your eternity, but when Jesus is your Lord, you're also concerned about everyone else's eternity. See, when you make Jesus your Savior, that what you have determined is that, all right, I'm good. I know where I'm going when this is all said and done. This is good news. This is great news. Uh, you should be concerned about your eternity, no question, but when you make the decision to follow Jesus, then everyone else's eternity suddenly became a priority for you. It should matter to you. You should care about that. 
In fact, that's what we're called to do. And, and so it happens to even such a degree that you should be willing to put your preferences aside so that someone else might get saved. It's that we would sacrifice of ourselves so that more and more people would be able to go to heaven with us, not just us. Paul talked a lot about this. He talked about becoming all things to all men so that some people might get saved. In other words, I will deliberately choose to do something that I don't even want to so that someone might get saved, and I'll also choose to not do something I would want to so that someone else might get saved. It's not just about me anymore, but it's about all of the people around me, and do they know Jesus, and where are they going, and how can I help be a part of that? 1 Corinthians 9:22. It says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, listen to this, doing everything I can to save some. Doing everything I can to save some. Does that line currently represent your ongoing evangelistic fervor? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I read that and was like, ooh, that's a, that's a wee bit convicting doing everything I can so that some might get saved. Wouldn't it be selfish to have a vital, life-changing piece of information that would affect the lives of people all over the world and then not tell anyone? Like, wouldn't that... The world would be so outraged if, like, come season 14 of The Walking Dead, all of a sudden some kid goes, oh, are you guys looking for a cure for the zombie apocalypse? I've, I've had it in my back pocket the whole time! You've been wandering around here for 15 years? That's wild. Right? Like, no, what are you doing? Right? Like, doesn't, don't other people matter to you? You've got the one thing that could change those lives and you didn't say anything? There's a magician duo named Penn and Teller, and they've been performing at Vegas and around the world for a whole bunch of years. And the Penn part of the duo, whose name is Gillette, actually, I think, uh, is known to be a very outgoing atheist, very against God, very against religion. But a few years ago, he posted a video on YouTube, and he told the story of one day after one of his shows, he had a guy come up to him. And, and this guy was a nice guy and said, man, great show, complimented them and all that jazz. And then he pulled out a Bible and he handed it to Penn and he said, I, I, I really want you to have this. I'm praying for you, have a good day. And, and instead of this guy being super angry and outraged, like, I'm an atheist, you know I'm an atheist, you hand me a Bible, right? Like, why, you jerk, why would you do that? Instead of being outraged, he was actually really touched. And, and he went on and recorded this video, and, and he goes on to say, you know what, I appreciated this gesture. I don't respect people who don't evangelize. Why aren't they doing the most important thing that they should be doing? And he goes on to say, and this is a quote, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and then not tell them how to do that? Man, this guy, this hardcore atheist, was encouraged and appreciative that a guy gave him a bottle, a Bible, because it meant that that guy actually cared. He actually practiced what he preached. If, if we really believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, 
of all of the world that if we really believe that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life, that no one can go to the Father except through him, shouldn't we be telling everybody? So when you make Jesus your savior, it's not just about your eternity, but it's about the lives of all of the people around you and wanting to make sure that they know the truth and that they can at least hear about it. It's incredibly important. But that's only if Jesus is your Lord. If you have a relationship with him. If you've declared that he is the first and the best in your life. So do you see the difference? Having Jesus as your savior, super important. You need to do that. But having Jesus as your Lord is actually now the point of how you live your life. And, and all of the demands that are on you and the things that you do and the things that you say. In fact, when we give the opportunity for people to make a decision to follow Jesus here at Crosspoint, we always try and say it like that. Do you want to follow Jesus? It's not just, hey, do you want to get saved? But it's the acknowledgement that this is actually going to change your life from here on out. Because we don't just pray a prayer, church. We follow a king. It's not just a one-time decision, but it's a lifetime of discipleship. That's why the Great Commission, kind of the, the vision of the church that Jesus left his people, that's why the Great Commission says, go out into all of the world and make disciples. It's not just go make converts. Go convince a whole bunch of people to, to make a decision so you can check it off on a report somewhere. No, it's go make disciples. Go change some lives for eternity. Go tell them what it means to follow me. That's how the early church preached and lived. You won't find the sinner's prayer in the book of Acts. It's not, oh Lord, come save me, amen. But you will find Jesus as Lord as their rallying cry. The thing that they preached, the thing that they declared. In fact, the very first sermon ever preached. This is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit shows up. Jesus is left and Peter looks and there's this massive pile of people there and he stands up and he preaches the first sermon. And this is what he says in Acts 2.36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. He's both. He is your savior, absolutely. The power of salvation is in Christ and Christ alone, but he's also your Lord. He's also the person that you're supposed to have a relationship with, the, the person you're supposed to walk with and listen to and talk to, to be changed by and challenged by, to be open to what it is that he wants to do in your life. Can that be said of your life right now? Is Jesus your Lord or is he just your savior right now? Because it really is about transformation it's about being part of a bigger family, and it's about the work of the church to evangelize everyone that we see. He's Adonai. He's Lord. Not just someone's Lord, but your Lord. Not just some God who's out there, but a God that you know and you love and you worship. It's a great title to give to the person that you love. It's not honey or deer or muffin or tiger, but it's Adonai. He's my Lord. I love him and I follow him, and I obey him, and that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so I want to pray for us, and uh, the band is going to come sing one more song. And, uh, and I just want you to kind of ask yourself in these next few minutes where Jesus is in that relationship with you. Is he more Savior, or is he more Lord? 
Father, we do thank you for your presence here with us today. God, I pray that's a thing that we never ever take for granted. You are here with us in this room in Marysville, New Brunswick. The almighty God of the universe is with us. That's crazy. And we are unbelievably grateful. And so, Father, I pray for everyone who's in this room, if they've made a decision to follow you, God, I pray that you would give them the strength and the power and the courage to actually do that, to, to be making disciples, to be doing the work of the church, to not just say, oh, yeah, no, I'm saved, but to, to actually engage in what it means to follow you, to be changed, to find our role in the church, to go out and tell others about it. There's so many excuses we have for not doing all of those things. And God, I pray that you would cast all of them down and give us boldness and energy and strength and wisdom. And if there's someone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that they would simply say, Jesus Christ, I do invite you to come into my life. I do want to be forgiven of my sins. I do want to be saved by you. But I also understand this changes me forever and help me to follow you forever. So God, we thank you and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. 